Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Um, so, a while ago, I was reminded of this story recently. A while ago, Lisa and I went away for a weekend and we stayed in a fancy place. A fancy place. It's, uh, it's Beatrix Potter's house in Bowness. Yep, I got it on a deal because that's how I roll. So, it's a fancy place, booked a nice weekend away. So, it was lovely. We got there. The, the house is lovely, nice gardens to walk around. You see Lisa looking very happy there. And, uh, and then it was time to, time to have dinner. So we went back to our rooms to get changed um, because we'd been out for a walk. And as I'm waiting for Lisa to get ready, I noticed there's a, there's a thing on the wall. And on the wall it says something to the effect of, please note, uh, we expect gentlemen to wear shirts with collars for dinner, which I thought was, uh, was unfortunate. Because all I had was T-shirts. So, at that point, what do you do? Do you think, well, that's it, sack it, we're going home? No, you don't. You've paid for the weekend. So, you put on your best level of confidence that you can, and you saunter in like you own the place. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to do. So, I went down to dinner. There were people there in tweed. Nothing against tweed, but I'm trying to paint a picture for you. There were people in tweed jackets with the, with the patches on the elbow, people looking very smart, and then there's me in a red t-shirt, jeans and trainers. So we get there, and uh, nobody says anything. They don't say, I'm sorry, sir, you can't come in. You're inappropriately dressed. They, they let me in because, because I would not have been happy to miss dinner. So they let me in. So I'm sat at the table. We're on a little bit on edge because I'm thinking, oh, I really should have really should have known this. I'm the only person sat in the restaurant with a t-shirt. Everybody else looks like they understand the etiquette of this. And it's a seven-course meal. So it's a proper meal. And, they, the, and you know, it's, it's good. Well, I say it's good. It's the kind of meal where dessert was a deconstructed cheesecake. Yeah, it's that, it's that kind, it was that kind of meal where you can't be bothered to put the pieces together you lay them all out on a plate, and you call it deconstructed because that's fancy, right? That's, that's what it is. So it's that kind of place. So I'm behaving myself. I'm trying to keep a low profile with my T-shirt and my trainers, and uh, so we're eating. And after the first course, this is when I lost it, right? After the first course, they cleared the plates away, and then the waitress comes back with a tiny dustpan and brush, and by tiny, I mean like it's for a doll's house, dustpan and brush. She comes back to our table. I'm thinking, what's going on? And she, start, she starts to sweep up the crumbs that's on the table with this tiny dustpan and brush. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when I lost it. Because I thought, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. So I was naughty after that. I was uh, speaking really loudly telling Lisa where we should go on holiday. Vacation. I kept calling it vacation. Every time I needed something from Lisa, I called her Elizabeth. It was great. So we had a great time. And um, 
And I still got this, I still got this picture of the tiny dustpan and brush in my head. And it made me think of the Jewish custom of Passover because, you know, when God, when God told the Jewish people that they needed to remember Passover, one of the things they needed to do to remember Passover was to make sure there was no yeast in anything that they ate. And so over the generations, this has developed into a tradition where Jewish people, before they celebrate Passover, will go through their houses to make sure there is nothing with yeast in it, down to crumbs. They will sweep crumbs out of cupboards to make sure there is no yeast in their house. Incidentally, a uh, bit of trivia for you. Because that happens, round about springtime, that's where we get the idea of spring cleaning from. Just so you know. There you go, you see? That's where spring cleaning comes from. Which takes us to what we're going to be talking about in our new series. Our new series is going to be called Cleaning House. Cleaning House. We're going to be talking about examining our lives to remove things from our lives that shouldn't be there. And here's the question I want you to think about today, and the question that I want to leave you with today. I know it sounds like I'm ending. I'm really not. Here's a question I want to leave you with today. Who is in charge, you or God? Who's in charge, you or God? You see, in Bible times, there was, a, there was a, a big issue, a big deal around the whole issue of idolatry. Um, there were idols in, in, New Te- in New Testament times, there were idols on every street corner. If you look in the book of Acts, you can see where Paul is walking around. There are idols everywhere, even to the point where they're not sure. We don't want to miss anything out, so we're going to have an idol to the unknown God because we've labeled everything else that we can think of. We've got a God of rain and a God of sun and a God of agriculture and a God of power and a God of money and a God of, of, of hope and all sorts of things. So just in case we miss anyone out, we've got to the unknown God. There are idols everywhere. Now, we may not, but hopefully not, have idols in like our gardens, a little idol in our garden, or, or idols on the street corner. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the potential inside of us to have some level of idolatry. It doesn't mean that. It isn't just about the statue. It's about the heart attitude to God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Paul is writing to the Colossians. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. At some point in our lives, each of us has been greedy. We can say that. And probably still, in some areas, we're a bit greedy. And Paul refers to that as idolatry. Pastor and writer Tim Keller says this, We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but when money and career are raised to cosmic proportions, we perform a kind of child sacrifice, neglecting family and community to achieve a higher place in business and gain more wealth and prestige. As Ezekiel said, such people have set up idols in their hearts. What is an idol? Anything that absorbs your heart or imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So it isn't about the statues. It's about anything in our hearts that we seek to give us stuff that only God can give. 
And actually, there's an author called John Bevere, and he takes it a step further, and I found this really challenging. He says, an idol isn't just something that you worship or that you give your attention to more than God. An idol can also be something that you give more power to than God. For example, it's going to get rocky today, all right? For example, if you believe something about yourself that someone has said to you, when the Bible says something different, you have given that more power over your life than God. And then that has become an idol to you. If you say things like, I am not good enough, when the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you're holding on to the I am not good enough, when the Bible says, yeah, to some extent you are, you aren't good enough, which is why Jesus came to die for you, because He sees the worth in you, but you're holding on to the other thing, then that thing has the potential to be an idol in your life. So it isn't something that we can think of like alcohol or drugs or chasing women or men or whatever. It isn't just those things. It's anything that we give more power to than God, which is why we're going to spend four weeks looking at how we can clean house, how we can work through the issues and the things that we find in us to ensure that there isn't any idolatry in us. Uh, we're going to look at a, a very famous passage about idolatry, Exodus chapter 32. So if you uh, have your Bibles with your devices, you can get there, Exodus 32. <coughs> I recognize the irony of creating the, um, the slide for the series, in that in creating the slide for the series, I made a golden calf. And I realized afterwards that this is not what this series is about, Nick. You're actually doing what you're telling people not to do. Sorry, it's just a slide. It's not actually something that I'm doing. All right. Uh, Exodus chapter 32. I'll read the whole narrative, and then we'll, we'll jump back into different things. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he was very disappointed. No, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry is a great word, revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. This feels a little bit like when you're a parent and one of the children is a bit naughty and you say, your son when you're the parent as well, it's your son, your daughter, it feels like, like responsibility is being passed here. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. God never misses anything. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. 
But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the sound of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. So they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Oh, Lord. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control. So he be- so, and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Israelites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you've been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. This guy is incredible. The Lord replies to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. I mean, if it doesn't set us up to think, I need to examine my life to make sure there isn't any sense of, of idolatry happening, I, I don't know what else we can do, really. Just, just the whole situation, the way that people respond, and the way that God responds as well, needs to really highlight to us that this is serious stuff. That having something in our hearts that we we recognize or elevates to a higher level than we elevate God will not end well. It will not end well. So let's have a a quick look at some of the things before we wrap up today. The first thing I want to point out, right at the beginning, says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt... We don't know what's happened to him. We don't know what's happened to him. 
Moses had been gone for 40 days. I know it sounds like a long time. The children of Israel were in captivity for 430 years as a people. And God had set them free. They'd, they'd seen incredible things happen. The plagues had happened that they were kept apart from. Uh, the Passover had happened that they were kept apart from. Uh, they walked through the Red Sea miraculously. They're being taken into the promised land. Moses is gone for 40 days. And now they want something to happen. They can't wait. <laughs> RAC did a survey recently of drivers. They asked two and a half thousand drivers, a few questions, uh, just to see how they responded in, while driving. And uh, they asked, how long, when the red light turns to green light, how long is acceptable to wait for the car in front of you to drive off? What is the acceptable waiting time? 46% said three seconds. One to three seconds is the acceptable waiting time. If it goes longer than three seconds and the person in front has not driven off, then people start to get impatient. 46% said one to three seconds. I personally thought it would be higher because if you sat and there's someone sat in front of you in a car and the light turns to green, you want to go. You just want to go. So why are we so impatient? Why does everything need to be done now. Why are we in such a hurry? Forty days they'd waited for Moses and they were unhappy with the fact that they had to wait. What does our impatience reveal about us? I think it reveals a few things about them. It revealed that they wanted to be in control. They wanted to be in control. They couldn't be bothered waiting anymore, and they wanted something to happen. And so they decided that they were going to make something happen. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. We don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron, let's crack on. We don't want to wait anymore. Let's crack on. Let me say this. Busyness can be an idol in our lives. It can be an idol in our lives. If we're not careful, just the sense of we're always busy can be something that we become proud of. I'm always busy. I've always got stuff to do. But that's not where we need to be as people who follow God. They didn't know where he was, and so they wanted to do something about that situation. Let me say this. We need to be in a position where we leave our uncomfortable uncertainty with him. Sometimes you're not sure, where is God? Why isn't God coming through? What's happening at the moment? Why is this going the way it is at the moment? And we can step out of being patient and waiting for God and trusting in Him into trying to fix it ourselves. And when we try to fix it ourselves, it will not end well. Abraham and Sarah were not content to wait on what God had promised. And so they stepped out of waiting for the promise that God had given and ended up with Ishmael. And it didn't end well. John Tyson in his book, uh, Beautiful Resistance, which I recommend, really good book, he says this, Netflix and pizza feel like a wonderful comfort in the moment. But if we use these to fend off dependence on God, 
we delay, we delay our deliverance. If we use these or anything to fend off dependence on God, we delay our deliverance. God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And we can sometimes label it differently, can't we? We can say, I'm not being impatient, I'm being resourceful. I'm being resourceful. I'm, I'm getting stuff done. And there's a time and a place to get stuff done. But there's also a time and a place to wait to see what God has to say. So we need to be able to leave our uncomfortable uncertainty with Him. In uh, verses 2 and 3, Aaron answered the people. So they said, we don't know where Moses is. Let's, let's make something happen. Aaron says, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off the earrings, brought them to Aaron like he asked for. This is really challenging on many different levels because Aaron responds to their request. They say, we need to do something. And Aaron says, okay, here's what you need to do. Uh, I'm going to collect in your gold. He gives them permission. He gives them space to give in to their desires. But what he should have said was, no, guys, we're going to wait on God. You just need to be patient. We're going to wait to see what God does. He gives them permission to give in to their desires. Let me say this. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you need to act on it. We need to pass our desires through the filter of the cross. Aaron should have said, this is who you are. You are God's people. You are the people that God set free from captivity and brought through the Red Sea and is taking you to the promised land. He should have reminded them who, whose they were and who they were instead of allowing them to give in to their desires. Feeling it does not mean we need to act on it. And even in this passage, you can see that they get to a point, they've given in to their desires, and they get to the point where their reasoning doesn't make any sense because they say, when Aaron makes this calf, they say, oh, look, you're gods that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He just made it yesterday, people. This calf didn't exist when you left the land of Egypt. This is a fresh idol that Aaron has just made. So what they're saying doesn't make any sense. And we get to the point where we start to justify our behavior, where we start to justify our thoughts and our actions. We start to justify what's happening around us. But actually, it doesn't make any sense. There's a saying that my dad would say sometimes. Oh, crumbs. Yeah, you may have heard it. Oh, crumbs. Well, when you see the crumbs, it's time to clean house. It's time to clean house because we don't want crumbs around. We want to make sure that our houses are clean. And I think if the, if the Israelites listen to themselves saying, oh, these are our gods that brought us up out of Egypt, there must have been one, there's always one smart kid. There must have been one kid going, oh, sorry, but... We left Egypt five months ago, and this calf has only just been made. There must have been one kid. There's always one kid who does that. When you're telling a story, a juice, there's always one kid who interrupts you to point out your inconsistencies. Always. There's always one kid. So there must have been one kid here who would say, hang on a second. This is fresh. This is fresh. I remember telling the story of Samson once. 
And if you look at the story of Samson, it's an incredible story of a man who was gifted, who was called by God, but whose character was rubbish. And it is important to make sure that if you have a calling on your life, and I do believe everyone has a calling on their lives, that you get your character sorted out because his character in the end destroyed him. Even though he was incredibly gifted and God used him for a purpose, he could have done so much more. His character was so flawed. And so there were rules in, in Samson's life as a baby when, when the angel appeared to his parents and said, you can have a baby, he needs to not cut his hair, he needs to not touch any, any dead animals, he needs to not drink any strong drink. And so we go through the story, and so I ask the question, can you tell me when Samson broke the rules? So I'm thinking it'll be when he went back to the, to, the, to the lion that he killed and he got the honey out because he touched a dead animal to do that. I thought it'd be, you know, one of those instances where he broke the rules, this kid put his hand up. And he said, when he killed those people, those thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey. So I'm, I'm stood at the front, I'm saying, well, I know it's a terrible thing that he killed a thousand people, but, but that was part of what he had to do. He had to, to kill the bad guys. That was, that was his job. That wasn't, he didn't break the rules there. And the kid said, yeah, but he used the jawbone of a donkey, which means it was dead. Yeah, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't swinging a live donkey around, <laughs> taking people down. Oh, yeah. So there may have been one of those, one of those kids in this story saying, uh, this calf was only just made. But we don't have any record of him, and it doesn't seem like anyone paid any attention to him. So just because we feel it, just because we have those desires, or just because we think, this is what's happening inside me, I must respond to it. No. You must take that desire to the cross and say, what do I do with this, God? What do I do with this feeling? What do I do with this emotion? What do, how do I handle this? I need to take it to the cross rather than responding to everything that happens in us. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. And I wanted to say this. You can't just tack Jesus onto the end of everything and make it okay because it doesn't make it okay. Tacking Jesus onto the end of, of whatever you decide to do and then whatever it is you decide to do, then say, but it's for the Lord when actually it's for you and you feel a little bit guilty, and now you're saying it's for the Lord. That's not how it works. We cannot frame our decisions or our actions based on what we want to do and then say, this is for God. If God is the afterthought, then our motivation is out of alignment. And we need to ensure that our motivation is in alignment so that we're not just tacking spiritual things onto the end of everything that we want to do. We can't use Scripture to justify our actions. We need to use, use Scripture to motivate our actions. That's the way around it needs to be. So Aaron has just made a calf. He's just made an idol. And then he says, hey, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. Okay. It doesn't make it right, Aaron. It doesn't make it right. In Acts chapter 7, um, there's the account of Stephen who is about to be martyred. And uh, he, has to, he has the opportunity to give a defense. And he does this, I encourage you to read it. He does this incredible summary 
of the children of Israel. Incredible summary of the nation of Israel. He runs through it all. It is incredibly done. Uh, and he refers to this incident. He refers to, the, to the, um, the, the incident of the golden calf. In Acts chapter 7, verse 40, it says, They, he's talking about the children of Israel, they told Aaron, Make us gold who will, gods who will lead us before, who will go before us. Sorry. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. That phrase really struck me. In honor of what their hands had made. Now, what Stephen is saying is they celebrated and they they worshipped something that they had made themselves. And he's pointing out the irony of we worship God who makes everything, not things that we make. That's, that's completely out of, out of line, out of order. But I like the phrase, what their hands had made, because sometimes we can get to the point where we, we have that sense of pride in what we do. And I'm not saying having pride in what we do is bad. What I'm saying is it can get to the point where it becomes an idol, where what we do is what we worship. And we need to be really careful about that. Listen, we must have pride in what we do. I don't want, don't want everybody just approaching their lives with a sense of slapdash or whatever. Uh, don't, I'm, I'm going to make sure I don't do a good job because I don't want it to become an idol. That's not what I'm saying. We must be careful. We must ensure that we live excellently and that we honor Jesus with the things that we do. But that's the way around it needs to be. I am doing this to bring honor to Jesus, not I'm doing this because I am amazing. Benjamin Nugent, who is a, a writer uh, for the New York Times, he had some issues with this because he got to a point where his writing became everything to him. And he says this, when good writing was my only goal, I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. I'll read that again. I made the quality of my work the measure of my worth. For this reason, I wasn't able to read my own writing well. I couldn't tell whether something I'd just written was good or bad because I needed it to be good in order to feel sane. I lost the ability to cheerfully interrogate how much I liked what I'd written to see what was actually on the page rather than what I wanted to see or what I feared to see. And it got to the point where he needed to take a break from writing because he recognized that this had become an issue. That his whole sense of self-worth and who he was was totally hung on whether he wrote well or not. And we can do that. We can do that. We can make what we do the thing that drives us rather than who we do it for. They worshipped what their hands had made. Verse 6 says this, The next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings, and afterwards they sat down to eat and drink and then got up to indulge in revelry. (laughs) I want you to notice that what they were doing here cost them. It cost them money because they gave their gold. It cost them their time. It says they got up early, and it cost them their passion. And as, a, as an opportunity, as a question, as a, a kind of a standard to test our own lives to ensure that there isn't an issue in us, it's good to note where your time, your money, and your passion goes. 
just take a note of where your time, your money, and your passion goes. Not where someone else's time, money, and passion goes, where your time, your money, and your passion goes. It's really easy to look at, at, at people from the outside and make judgments about them. You know, someone, it's really easy to pick on football fans because they're, they're, quite, they're quite passionate and also because I don't care about football. But it's really, it would be really easy for me to say, oh, football fans, they're so obsessed with football, so obsessed with, with who's up the league or down the league, who's on or who's off, who beat who. It can be fine to be a football fan. I'm not saying don't be a football fan. <laughs> You're welcome. Be free, brother. But what I am saying is that that, like anything else, can become an idol. Because if you're looking for something to give you a sense of satisfaction, a sense of, of, of enjoyment, a sense of belonging or whatever, if you're looking to anything to give you stuff that you should be getting from God, it is an idol. I did something slightly naughty at work this week. <coughs> Let me explain the context. And then please hear everything that I'm saying, not just the things that come out of my mouth and make assumptions, hear everything that I'm saying, okay? So, listen to the end. So, at work, we, uh, we do enrollments early. I teach um, at a college. So, if students are internal, internal candidates and they're going to the next level of their course, for example, we don't wait until September to enroll them. We do it early because September, when people come to enroll, it is absolute chaos. So, if we have to wait until then and then enroll students who are already students as well, it just makes the whole thing a nightmare. So, if you are doing well and you are going on to the next level of your course, we enroll them early. We did that this week. It's quite early, isn't it? But we did that this week. So, I had to take a group of students down to, to enroll. And while they're all enrolling, I have to wait there just in case there are any issues. So, I was waiting there. And then a group of students from a different area came in. There were girls came in. And one girl stood out to me. And the reason she stood out to me is she's quite small, quite quite a slight figure, but she had massive chunky trainers on, so there was kind of a disconnect. So that caught my attention. Those trainers are massive. And then as she walked past me, lots of other girls in her group walked past me. They were all wearing the same trainers. I thought, I don't know what these trainers are. I've never seen these trainers before, but all of these girls are wearing the same trainers. And I was bored because I'd be waiting for ages. So I took a photograph of her feet. That was the bad thing. I took a photograph of her feet so that I could then Google the name of the trainers and see what they were. So her feet are on the left, and uh, I Googled the trainers. 725 pounds those trainers cost. 725 pounds. Now, I mean, I'm like, wow, that is, that is amazing. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money for a 16-year-old girl to have to put on her feet to come to college. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't spend that money on trainers. If you have that money, that's up to you. What I am saying is that is the kind of thing that can become an idol. And it isn't, it isn't, the, cl isn't the clothing that's the idol. It isn't the trainers that's the idol or the hat or the jumper. That's not the idol. The idol is this, wanting to fit in, wanting to be like everyone else. And so wanting to be like everyone else can cost, can cost you stuff. It is essentially wanting to be part of a community. That's what it boils down to, wanting to feel a sense of belonging. When actually, 
God made it so that we can have a sense of belonging. It's called the church, the family of God, where we can exist in community. So if you want to spend that money on trainers, that's completely up to you. But we need to be careful with that kind of attitude to stuff, that stuff doesn't become our idol. And the, uh, in my own life, the best way I know to avoid that is to counteract those impulses, those desires with the opposite thing. Be generous. Be generous. Bless her. There's a guy called Kamishuji. He's a Japanese guy. In the 1980s, he joined a, a brokerage firm, Kamishuji. I don't want to get his name wrong. And um, he started at this brokerage firm, and his job, he was given the job of cold calling people. It's not a great job, cold calling for potential clients. And he was given his working hours, his working hours from 8.40 in the morning until 5 p.m., Monday to Friday, and he was cold calling people. And he decided he wanted to be good at his job and that that wasn't enough. And so he changed his working hours. He changed his working hours to be 6.50 in the morning until 10 p.m. at night, seven days a week. And because he was doing that, I mean, he's working 13, 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Because he was doing that, he was getting clients. He started to rise up the company. Uh, he was being honored in business magazines. Um, the younger people, the younger traders were looking up to him. He became a bit of a hero uh, to people who were in that industry. And so he continued, and he would regularly average 13-hour days, seven days a week. He was at a weekend sales retreat. Um, it was a Saturday weekend sales retreat, and he just collapsed in the middle of this sales retreat and died on the floor. His heart just gave out because he'd been working it so hard, his heart just gave out. He was 26. 26. Here's the thing. His work had become his idol. Wanting to succeed had become his idol. Wanting to be better than everyone else had become his idol, and it cost him everything he had. These people with the, with the golden calf, it cost them their money, it cost them their time, it cost them their passion, but actually what they did was they offended God. They upset God because God heard what they said and he saw what they did. And the thing is, when Moses came down and Moses said to Aaron, who was the leader, he said, Aaron, why did you let, you see what he says, he says, why did you let these people, why did you lead these people to do this? Because Moses understood the leadership. And then Aaron says that hilarious phrase, I threw all the gold in the fire and out came this calf. I mean, he was backed into a corner and at that moment, what he needed was repentance not some feeble reason, not an excuse, not nonsense. He needed repentance. What he should have said was, you're right. This is out of order, and I'm sorry. But he made excuses. Because sometimes when we recognize that there is something in us and we don't want to deal with it, we will make excuses. And so today, we need to clean out the crumbs. We need to clean out the crumbs in our own lives. Clean out the things that we know don't belong there. Because remember, idolatry isn't 
it isn't just the bad things. It isn't just, you know, drugs or, or those things I mentioned before. Idolatry can be good things. People who work for church, that can become an idol to them. What you do in service of God can become your idol. Good things, your family can become your idol. Good things can become idols. And in fact, most likely good things will become your idols. Because we, we, there is that kind of disconnect where we don't see the danger of, oh, this is a good thing. It's easy to see this is a bad thing. I will not allow it to influence me. But sometimes we can miss it when it's a good thing. So I want us to close our eyes. And I want to give us a couple of minutes just to respond to Jesus this morning, really. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.